Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Welcome, family, this beautiful, once again, warm fall day. Um, we spent a lot of time outdoors this weekend, and actually it, was, it felt weird to take my dog on a walk. It's 65-degree weather in end of October, so we're so thankful for that. Um, anyway, my name is Dan uh, Dupuy. Welcome to Sunrise. We're going to worship together today and sing His praise and hear His word. So why don't you guys stand with us? I'm going to have you guys engage with us as we do the call to worship this morning. Um, there's just some words up on the screen that are based off of Psalm 57. So we're going to read these together and then launch right into our first worship song. So let's join together in saying these words. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. God of love, we invite your spirit into our hearts this morning so that we might offer our utmost praise to you. Awesome. Let's sing together. I thank God. I thank God. 
Jesus, I am free. I am free. Let's declare. I lost another one. I am free. Yes, I am. The earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Yeah, your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak forward, it will come to pass. Sing it out. Steady, same, I 
creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you sought to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you God, you are good. As we started off this morning saying, you are good, you are kind, you are faithful. We're thankful to worship you. Thankful to be here proclaiming your goodness. And God, we, yeah, we do just join in with the song of heaven today. Join in with all the other churches across the nation praising you, singing praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit three in one. God, move on our hearts today as we have already started moving things in our hearts and, and engaging with you. Pray that you would continue to open our ears, soften our hearts to hear you speak today. As we're all here together from little ones to big ones, pray that we can focus on you and hear your heart today, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? Amen. As you're sitting, anybody get goosebumps at that last song? 
What an inspired version. I mean, hymns and psalms and praise for thousands of years, and God just keeps inspiring people to write things that just draw us to Him. What a wonderful God. Uh, Welcome to Sunrise Ministries. It is Family Sunday. Family service, so uh, we're all going to stay here together today, and uh, for, for better or for worse, you're stuck with me. I'll, uh, I'll be here. I'm uh, one, of the, one of the elders, Mike, and, and if you have any questions before or after during the service, look for people that have uh, look like they belong here. Ask questions. You're all welcome. Uh, to our visitors, guests, thanks so much for, for coming in, and, and God is good. Uh, family service day, uh, we're, we're, we're just going to enjoy that with, uh, with Pastor Dennis. There are other announcements uh, for, for the techies amongst us. There's QR codes on the seats, uh, and then there's some things out in the lobby, that type of thing. For those of you who are a little more old school like, uh, like old Mike here, we've got things like prayer cards, connect cards, a connect table, prayer after the service. If you're looking for anything, if we can help in any way, just approach someone and find out who it is that can, that can help you with what you need from the Lord and from Sunrise Ministry today. Other announcements, we've got uh, Pump Theology this Tuesday, November 2nd. I think this might be the first time we're featuring the chugging contest. Is that? No. No chugging? Okay, no chugging contest. All right. Pub theology, the discussion, discussion of the word amongst brothers, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really neat thing. It's 6.30 at Hudsonville Grill. That's Tuesday, November 2nd. Uh, Thanksgiving food drive, this is a wonderful thing. And uh, November 13th, that's going to end. So there's two weeks left. There's some information out there. You can pick up and, and deliver. You can donate, and we will buy things, and, and this will help the community and help the Sunrise family as well for, for um, our, our Thanksgiving drive meals and uh, for, to help undersourced families. Uh, also, the Advent Family Activity Bags. This is, just, uh, this is just kicking off. In the app, or if you, if you ask, there's a sign-up that starts today, and there's going to be Advent daily and weekly, daily prayers, uh, daily scriptures, uh, activities weekly to lead us up to worshiping the, 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 uh, the coming of the sun again in the, can- the annual calendar, and that's a, that's a neat thing. There's a partnership class November 13th, so that's two Sundays from now. It'll be sometime through the day. We don't have a time set up for that, but there's, um, there's really, they say there's really only one thing that you need uh, to, if you care to join the partnership class. I'm guessing that's a big donation, big donation. Okay, no, that's not it? Okay. I think it's curiosity. If you want to learn about Sunrise, if you want to learn about our, our, our principles and, and how, we, how we are biblical and how we are in outreach and, and how we love to, want, want to love and serve the Lord, you're welcome to come. At the end of the class, there's no obligation to join. There's, there's no, it's just informational, and it's relational, and we'd love to meet you there and, and to show you some things that uh, how we want to serve Jesus Christ here. And to fulfill that, if, if, if you are my disciples, you'll love one another, and the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. We get a, a great, we're going to get a great overview macro of, of the Bible and, and how that comes together in this service coming up too. So I mentioned the connect table, and we're not going to release the kids at this time. So we're going to have a greeting time. Uh, step on up, and again, if you have any questions, visit me or anybody else that looks like they know what they're doing or don't know what they're doing. And have a nice little break here, and then Pastor Dennis is going to come up with the, with the message. God bless. Welcome. All right, good morning. 
It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, today, we are going to talk about accessing the Bible story. We're going to root our conversation beginning uh, once again in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, but today is a message that actually probably isn't best delivered among a bunch of old white people in, uh, in Hudsonville. So I'm just going to tell you, you got you to gotta sort of channel your, your inner excited child this morning because we're going to be telling a story that, that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation yet again this morning. But before we, we jump into it, I want to I have a little bit of audience participation. Can we do that? Okay. If you would have said no, we were going to do it anyway. But I appreciate the effort. So I want you to think, I want you to sort of to clear your minds, and I want you to think, is there one thing that you know that you never remember not knowing? Maybe it's your name. Maybe it's your parents' face. So mom, this is your shout out. Uh, my mother chastised me on the phone this week because she said, you didn't say anything about your parents last week in your first message. Maybe it's where your grandparents lived. I never remember not knowing where my grandparents lived. So what I want you to do, whatever it is, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now in the next five or ten seconds. I want you to share that thing or a thing that you never remember not knowing and begin. And five seconds, four, three, two, one. Okay, that was a failure. All right, so, all right, did you got it? You got it? You, you got it? You, you did that, Daniel, Nick, you, you got it? Okay, good. All right, so now I want you to think about a second thing, and I want you to think about, and this is going to get confusing, so you got to hang with me. I want you to think about something that you either know that you don't know, that you think that you should know. I'll explain that in a minute. Or something that you're embarrassed that you just recently found out. So the second category, right? It is anything about which you have recently said, I was today years old when I found out that Bo Schimbeckler is from Ohio and actually was on Woody Hayes' staff at Ohio State. Maybe that's new information for you. Or... Um, Maybe you were today years old when you found out that one of the oldest biblical manuscripts in existence is actually housed at the University of Michigan Library, right? Something that you recently found out that you're kind of embarrassed that you haven't known all of your life. Or, and, and, and this is probably more important, something that you don't know that you feel like you should. For me, that thing is any of my children's cell phone numbers. Isn't it strange, right? If you ask me, Dennis, what's your grandparents who've been dead, God bless them, for near a decade, what is your grandparents' phone number? I can rattle that thing off. Your best friend from elementary school, we could call that number, right? The landline of the house that I grew up in, absolutely. If you ask me without my phone to call Drew, I am lost. As a child in Walmart. So turn to your neighbor. And I want you to share what is something that either you recently found out, 
that you're embarrassed that you recently found out, or something that you know that you don't know that you think that you ought to know. And begin. Okay, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. So today I hope to add at least one thing to each of those columns. The second and the first. So in the first column, the things that you've known and you don't remember not knowing... I'd like to propose that the vast majority of us who have grown up in church or who have been around the the church for, for a while, something that you know that you never remember not knowing is how to access and how to navigate the Bible's not so super secret locator code. The Bible has a super secret or not so super secret locator code. Do do you know this? So, So if somebody like me stands up and they say, turn to Matthew... Chapter 4, verse 8. Don't do it. I'm just saying. You know, right, what you're doing. You know the Bible's super secret locator code. You, you, you think to yourself, okay, Matthew, Matthew, one of the Gospels, one of those four books that tell us the life of Jesus, that's in the New Testament. So I go to the back, to the maps, and I start heading toward the front until I find Matthew. If I get to the place where there's this little gap uh, signifying the intertestamental period, I know that I've gone too far. You see the title at the top of the page. Chapter 4, you know that there are big numbers and little numbers on every page of the Bible. The big numbers signify chapter breaks that have been inserted to help us navigate the Scriptures. And you look for the big number 4. When you find the big number 4 in Matthew, you know then intuitively, and for many of us, we've never not known this, that the verses are marked by the tiny numbers. So you find the big number 4, and then you look for the tiny number 8. You It's my guess, if you've been around this thing for any length of time, especially those of us who sort of grew up in the church, you have never not known how to access the Bible's super secret navigator code. Can I get an amen? But last week we talked about there's more than just chapters and verses. There's more to this ancient piece of literature than just knowing a verse at a time. There's a grand story that the Bible is telling. And that story can be capsulated in six different words. Creation, fall, promise, rescue, mission, and restoration. But what most of us don't know, while we know, and we've never not known, how to manage the locator code, many of us also don't know that there is an access code in the Scripture, a way that we can access and understand the story that the Bible is telling. And I'm ashamed, folks, that I was, well, far too old when someone sat me down and said, Dennis, do you realize that 14 books of the 66 canonical books in the Bible actually tell the story of God's redemptive plan from humans from beginning to end. That if you will read Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Luke, Acts, Revelation, 
that you can get the entire story of human history. That's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about those 14 books that tell the story and give an overview. So today, all of you note takers, can I get, see a hand to the note takers? This is not going to be a note taking sermon, Carol. We're going to, right, we're going to be running like a three-legged cat away from a pack of dogs today. But what I hope to do is I hope that today what we can do is we can begin to set a, 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 a we can be to, to set sort of a, a, a means or, 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 or way of accessing the story that the Bible is telling so that we can understand how we can interpret and how we can learn from what the Scriptures that are God-breathed are teaching. Let's get back here to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Last week, we saw this passage, and we saw that all Scripture is God-breathed. We talked about that, how that the Scriptures are as distinct from other works of literature as humans are from other animals, that they are, they are literary, they are contextual, that, that it is God entering into time and space, accommodating and incarnating in this, this way. But, it, but, but there's something, and it's the, the breath of God that makes this different, right? And, and they're useful for a few things. They're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God, that P up there is a, is a little notation that I forgot to take out so disregard that, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of the Scriptures, what they teach and what they communicate, is so that we, you and I, those of us who follow Jesus, might follow Him boldly into the kingdom that He is establishing and participate with Him in that kingdom. The teaching here is talking about not just the content, but the mechanism both. And if we're to understand what the Scripture is teaching, my friends, we need to understand how it is teaching the Scriptures, how the Scriptures are teaching the way of Jesus and how we might enter into that. I grew up as a church kid. Can I get a witness from any other church kids? Church kids in the building? Right? And, and, and as such, and not only a church kid, I grew up as a Christian school kid. Well... So consequently, I knew a lot of Bible stories. And by a lot, I mean all of them. But here's what I didn't know. I didn't know how they all fit together within the one redemptive story that the Bible was telling. Nor did I have any real idea of what comes first and what comes second and how to navigate those things. I didn't know who went with whom and who stood on whose shoulders. See, I knew all the stuff, and I could tell you the story of Adam and Eve and the snake. I could tell you the story of the Tower of Babel, of Moses, and multiple stories, right? I could tell you the story of Moses in the little boat. I could tell you the story of Moses being found by Pharaoh's daughter. I could tell you the story of Moses at the burning bush. I could tell you the story of, of Moses, you know, pushing the Egyptian off of that big scaffolding as told in the Disney uh, 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 hit uh, Prince of Egypt. I could tell you about donkeys that talked, of Abraham and Sarah and their son Isaac. I could tell you of Peter and the sheet with all the animals that came down. I could tell you that Jesus rode a donkey and a white horse, and I'm not sure which came first. I could tell you about Hannah and how she took her baby and she left it at the church. 
I could tell you about Joshua who fit the battle of Jericho, of Elijah and Elisha, not knowing exactly which one was a follower of the other, of a fellow by the name Naaman who was some kind of a military figure who took a bath in the Jordan River, of Daniel and that lion's den, of Rahab the prostitute turned grandmother of Jesus, of Samuel who was the prophet who anointed David. I could tell you all their stories, but I couldn't tell you how each of these stories fit together. And for most of my life, they were just a pile of information. Individual stories meant to teach a moral lesson. And this morning, my friends, what I'm here to tell you is that those stories are not just individual stories meant to teach us how to be good. They're parts and pieces in one long redemptive tale meant to teach us the servants of God, how we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work to establish the kingdom in our day and in our way. So today I'd like to give you this access code. And I'd like to do it by taking us on a journey, a journey through these 14 books that teach God's story. For all scripture is useful for teaching. So maybe, just maybe... Some of us can leave here today saying, I was today years old when I learned how to access the grand narrative of the scriptures because they are good and they equip us for God's work. Amen? Buckle up. Here we go. Amazingly, as all good stories do, the story begins in the beginning. The story begins with the book of Genesis, where God answers all of the important questions, like where did all this come from? Do I and do you and do what we do, does it matter? What does God think of me? Genesis tells us a story of a personal, personal and intimately invested God who creates and then pursues his fallen creature. It communicates honestly about the frailty and the failings of its heroes. It tells us that God is a promise keeper and that humans are promise receivers. It tells us that grace chases after wayward creation. It says that God's and teaches us that God's eyes are on the abandoned and he sees and he shows grace to the formerly barren Sarah by giving her a son, but he sees and also blesses Hagar, the one whose name literally means the immigrant whom Sarah oppresses. Genesis tells us that God doesn't play by the social rules, but redeems societies by sending his people into them, not so that they can be exalted as special, but a blessing as servants. It tells us that he can redeem acts that were meant to harm when brothers sell a younger brother into slavery for his honor and for his glory. It's a story. It's a story not just of those ancient heroes, but the story of one who has come and who is coming to crush the head of the adversary and to restore what was broken at the fall. Exodus tells us the story of the fact that the gospel precedes the law. 
We often think that the gospel is birthed out of the law, but what Exodus shows us is that the good news actually comes before. God delivers the rules and the regulations. That those rules and regulations are simply shadows that point to a gospel that permeates the story from beginning to end. Exodus begins not with rules and regulations, but with two common midwives who stood up to the most powerful man in the world and said, no. No, we won't do what you're telling us to do. No, we will protect these little lives that we have helped bring in the world. And it doesn't matter the threat from the outside. They stand in harm's way, willing to die for what they believe. It tells us of, of, of a set of parents who hide their child because they know that God has his hand on tiny Moses. It tells us of the kindness of the Pharaoh's daughter, of a mother who then becomes a wet nurse to her own child. It tells us of, of, of how Moses, this would-be leader, learns all that Egypt has to teach him, that he flees to the desert and then learns what it means to be a shepherd, that he encounters the great I am through a burning bush. And if all that is not good news enough, it tells us that when God meets him in that space, what he asks Moses isn't a series of theological questions. It isn't a checklist of whether or not he has all the requisite uh, uh, knowledge to be a good leader. He simply asks him, what is in your hand? You see, it tells us a story that we have enough. We have all that God needs because what we have in our hand when it changes ownership to God, he can do great things through it. It's a story. It's a story of the one who will come to fulfill and embody all the shadowy religious regulations. Deuteronomy tells us of the high cost package associated with the lack of faith. It tells us what happens when we lean on our own understanding and when we walk by faith alone and not, or walk by sight alone and not by faith. It tells us how a tribal family becomes a nation, how an old and trusted lawgiver and emancipator transfers his authority to a new leader. It continues the story of the one who will be the true and better Moses, who will finally and fully lead sins captives free. Joshua tells us the story of this new guy who followed the old guy, declaring that no matter what others would do, that he and his house would serve the Lord. It's a story of laying a hold of ancient promises through faithfulness, a story of river crossings and wall topplings, of monument buildings, take 12 stones from the middle of the river. It's a it's a story of, of generations who will come after and asking, what do these stones mean? Of mountain climbing and decades-old faith that resolves in the 80-year-old Caleb to give me this hill country. Of a renewed covenant, of a restoration of God's people and a reiteration to uphold their end of the bargain, of trumpet blowing and flag waving, the first ever championship marching band, my friends, brought down the walls of Jericho, except for the apartment of the prostitute Rahab, who would be the future grandmother of Jesus. 
the laying to rest of the new guy, and the keeping of an ages-old promise to carry that younger brother who was sold into slavery to carry his bones back to the land of his ancestors. But more than that, it's the story of the one, the one who turned seas into highways, walls into rubble, and prostitutes into saints. The book of Judges carries along this story and it tells us that that God can and does use broken and imperfect people to accomplish His purposes. Can I get a hallelujah? It's a story of cyclical sin and persistent forgiveness, of divine chastening and human hard-heartedness, a reminder that every new generation must make for themselves the decision that Joshua made for himself and his family, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a story of a long-haired scoundrel named Samson, of a left-handed assassin named Ehud, of a fearful and reluctant leader called Gideon, of an impetuous father named Jephthah, and a steady and wise sage by Deborah. But it's a story. It's the story of the one and true judge who will eventually take the penalty for our sins and the sins of the whole world upon himself, finally and once and for all breaking the cycle of sin. 1 Samuel reminds us that God is near and he hears when he seems to be far away and silent. It tells us that that our kids are not our own, but they're on loan for a season. That's what Hannah learned. And the best advice we can give those children is to teach them to listen for God's voice and when they hear it, to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It teaches us the truth of the old adage that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That humans look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The battles aren't won by strength or armament, but by the hand of the Lord. It tells us the deep love between friends. It tells us that honoring and loving our enemies, those who are trying to harm us, is actually virtuous, and it carries along the story of the one true king that's coming, who will rule with justice and set all things right. Second Samuel shows us that that we don't have to be perfect to be a person after God's own heart. It tells us that being a good repenter is more important than being good. Let me say that again. Second Samuel, through the life of King David, tells us that being a good repenter, turning around and choosing again after failure to follow the way of Jesus is more important than being good. That worship is more about heart inclination than sacrifice and offering. It carries along and continues the story of the one who embodies love and grace. A God that we cannot outrun or outlast or outwit. A God whose grace and love is bigger and more powerful than our sin. First Kings continues the story by teaching us that God has a plan. And even when the world seems to be spinning out of control, His plans are never thwarted. That wisdom is a greater treasure than all the treasuries of all the kingdoms in all of the earth. 
And that no matter who's on the throne or in the White House, down here, God is on the throne up there. That sometimes we're afraid and feel alone. We hide because we feel abandoned. We listen for the voice of God in the thunder, but He is not there. We long for His presence to come like a tidal wave, but it does not come. To shake the earth with a mighty quake, only to find the voice of God as Elijah found, is very often heard in the gentle whisper at the edge of a cave. It tells us and reminds us that as God's people, we're not alone. That even though we may feel like it, there are others that God has reserved for himself. There are, even for us, a 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You see, it's the continuation of this one story of the one who shows up, who has not and will not abandon us, the one who still reserves for himself a faithful remnant through whom he intends to transform the world. Second Kings gives us comfort and lets us know that the wicked, even if they rule for the span of several human lifetimes, will one day answer for the evil they have done. It's a story of justice. It's a story of God, a God who brings life that overcomes death It's a story that there is healing for the Naamans of the world, the outsiders and the cast out, those who are othered by the people of God. It tells us a story of of even when we are in times of great need, we serve a God who can make axe heads float and restore life to the dying. It reminds us that we may lose things in this life as Daniel and his friends lost. Our places of worship, our freedoms, our deeply held systems of worship. But one thing that the empire cannot take is our identity as God's children. That if the empire can take it, this is the message of Second Kings. That if the empire can take it, then God knows I don't need it. But if God knows I need it, the empire can't touch it. It's a story. It's a continuation of the story of the one who can do the impossible, including give us strength to live as oppressed foreigners for his glory and for his honor. Ezra is the story of a priest who makes his way back to the promised land. It's a priest's recollection of how God made good on his promise to remember and to restore his people, carrying along the story of the one who calls us home, not just home to a place, but home to his presence. Nehemiah is the story of a layperson, of a common guy whose faithfulness to lead God's people in re-inheriting God's promise continues along and shares the story of the one The one whose love is expressed through his people's care for the poor, through confession of sin, through an orientation toward God's teaching, and through the reestablishment of identity as God's people. And after those 400 years of silence, Luke tells us a story, a story of that faithful promise keeper. 
who showed up time and time again to make promises and to make covenants. Who breaks those years of silence to save his people from their sins. Luke tells us a story of two cousins. One born to parents too old. And one born to a mother too young. And too unmarried. It's a story about a single mom who says yes. Even when it could cost her everything. Of a broken fiancé who says yes. Because God's promises convince him that family is more than biology and blood. Of a baby born of the will of God for the purpose of doing as, doing as a human for humans what we could never do for ourselves. It's a story of kingdom manifestations. A story of confrontations of the pious and grace to the broken. It's a story of betrayal and death and darkness, but also of light and of life. It's a story of Friday night executions, but it's also a story where Friday doesn't have the final word, because Sunday, Sunday's coming, and it has come. It's a story of, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a story of incarnation and resurrection of the one, the one who was promised all the way up to this point, who has come to be among the broken and the needy people just like you and me. The story of the one death, the one that death could not hold, and the one whose resurrection gives us hope. Acts tells us the story of promised power and the birth of an irreligious faith, of people who face death with hope, of persecutors turned into proclaimers, a story of the curse of Babel being reversed at Pentecost, a story of bacon being put back on the menu, can I get an amen, of Gentiles, people like you and me being adopted into the family, a story of becoming all things to all people so that the kingdom might be established in some. It's a story of kingdom stubbornness where the compulsion to keep on talking about Jesus is more powerful than the threat of the sword of Rome. It's a story of storms and shipwrecks and all-night sermons, a story of men and women who meet Jesus and walk away forever changed. It's a story of the one the resurrected king who is using people just like you and me to change the world. It's a story, Revelation tells us, of a blessed hope, a hope in the midst of evil and oppression, a pastoral prophetic letter that shows that the empire for what it is, was, and will be. A story that warns the wicked and comforts the righteous. A call to the saints, fix your eyes on the eastern sky. A reminder that even though we don't know when, he's coming. And while we wait, we have work to do. It's a story of heaven coming to earth. A story of wickedness vanquished 
and justice done. A story of the heavenly city with doors wide open. It's a story. It's the conclusion of the story of the one. The one promised in the garden. The one who's the true and better law that embodies what was given on Sinai. The one who's the heir of Abraham. Who will sit on David's throne. Incarnated in Mary's womb. It's the story. It's the story of what was broken through human disobedience. Now restored through his obedience. My friend, these 14 books don't just tell us a story of ancient literature. They tell us our story. They tell us God's story. From beginning to end, and you think we've ran fast this week, next week we do the other 52. These 14 books, they tell us a story of relentless and reckless love. A love that made us alive with his breath. A love that came looking in the garden. Who showed grace to Noah. A love that parted seas and brought down walls. A love that sings over us and vanquishes the spirit of fear. A love that lights up the darkest shadowy corners of our hearts. It shows us a love that sin cannot defeat and that we can't outrun. A love that submitted to death and overcame it. A love that tore the temple veil, offering us access to the very presence of God. And a love, a love that we have been shown freely and now have been invited to give away. For it's a love that we have, once we have experienced, we should not be able to contain. For it is a love that's meant to be experienced and then given away. It's a reckless, relentless, pursuing love that shames itself for the sake of the beloved.
The invitation today, folks, is simple. It's to remember that you can never find yourself far enough away from God that his love doesn't come after you and pursue you. Sue, I haven't forgotten. Please, as you are dismissed, remember to give uh, at the, you can, right, we can do that online, right? And at the the back, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, give till it hurts because we need to feel the pain or whatever preachers (laughs) say at this kind of of a time. The second time that we were together, right? Remember, we talked about Luke chapter 15, where the, the, the father runs after and runs to meet that wayward boy. Folks, that's just not a story Jesus told. That's the story of the whole world. That's the story of the whole world. That's what we've actually been talking about today, is that God the Father, He, he runs to you. I don't know what maybe you've heard people like me say about you over the past or what guilt and shame you carry, but this morning I want you to leave here knowing that Jesus Christ's presence in this world is a signal that God the Father has run to meet you just where you are, and He loves you with a reckless, relentless, and pursuing love. So in the name of the Father who loves, who loves enough to pursue, to run toward and incarnate himself, to accommodate his wayward sons and daughters, may you go from this place knowing that you are loved, that he chooses you, that he cares for you, and that you can have life and experience resurrection power in the mighty and the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, please don't forgive, forget to give your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings. Thank you. Go in his peace.